0: I'm scared. Damn. You know, I didn't want to do a really loud one because the last time I said your name as an intro, it was so loud. I actually felt bad for people and I almost turned it down. Because I'm sure they're like, oh my God. Like, I think a lot of our audience really loves you starting, and like they they gravitate towards you. You know, you're the calm of the podcast. You're you're relaxed, you know, you're not coming into these things hyped on caffeine and stuff. You're you know, you're you're the mellow host, right? And I think that's why we're a little yin and yang on this but sometimes i feel like i bring too much noise so apologies if my uh, abrupt pams uh, startle y'all while y'all are driving or at the gym or whatever whenever you listen to this podcast, like, but whatever they're doing <laughs> i pams just
1: on. had this image everybody here in my name driving down the road and <laughs> jumping <laughs> Oh, I didn't think about that before. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I'm, I right, apologize. Go you
0: know, hopefully there's no accidents happening. But uh, <laughs> in any case, my question for you to start off our discussion today is for, I want you to envision, if you will, Ms. Ocho. I want you to envision your classroom at reading time. And I want you to envision that kid that more often than not is fake reading. We are at the end of February. And these fake readers exist in all of our classrooms. Some days they don't. A lot of days they do, right? There's, there's always one. There's always two. At least there's one that is off and on, just depends on their day. But for that fake reader in your classroom, Ms. Ochoa, when you think about that they're going to be at that, when you're starting reading time, they pop into your head you're thinking about them what are your steps at this current point in the year to try to get them engaged with some type of book what are your solutions to it being the end of february there's a fake reader and we got to get them reading so what how do you go about that
1: well i first of all don't know if i have any fake readers i i, 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 I and i'm saying that hang She's on throwing the gauntlet I'm saying that only because when I look up, they're I've, either they're reading or they're just not. <laughs> they're, oh, not so even, no. they're not even pretending anymore. <laughs> they stop
0: thinking, got you, got you. <laughs>
1: they are just like, ain't doing it. Come and make me. Now, what do I do? I, um, first of all, uh, conferencing is usually where, you know, I kind of, Kind of let them know, first of all, that I'm watching them. I let them know that I understand what reading looks like. And I'll even, you know, before we start to read, if I'm having some issues, I'll let them know what I'm looking for and what it is that good readers look like. And so I'll do that. A lot of times what I might do is take my book, because I read a book and uh with you know, with my students, not every day, but almost every day. Um, I would be lying if I said every day. Sometimes I just walk around and sit down and handle some things that I need to handle with individual students, especially if they've been absent or and they need some extra explanation somewhere. I might do that there, not always. But what I typically do if I have that situation is I might just park myself very close to them. And I'll pick up a book and I'll start reading. And then I'll look over at them and I'll catch their eye because typically they really are not looking at the book and or their book. And uh I'm like, I'll do a little sign language that I have my two fingers. I, I look at my eyes and then I, I point to my two eyes and I point to the book in my hand and I read and I, you know, I say that quietly and I'm like, You know, like I'm, I don't really whisper it. I I mouth the words, but I do it in the sign language for reading. And sometimes that gets them going. If that doesn't work, then I go and stand near them and I'll say, how come you're having trouble reading this book? And so I'll do a little mini conference and I'll find out, I'll try to find out why. Sometimes they'll say, well, this book, this is boring. And I'm like, well, I, there's some other books right over there. Do you want me to help find you a book? Let's go over here and find you a book no, I can do it. So they'll, cause they usually don't, you know, especially if it's a boy, they're like, no, I got it. Girls sometimes I'll say, sure. Or some of them say, yeah, I'll see if you can find a book that I like, you know? So mm-hmm. it just depends. It depends on them, but for the most part, uh, we'll go over there and we'll pick a book out. I just try to find out why they're doing that. And, uh, then I kind of talk to them and then I'll go back to reading. And then sometimes they might, like, talk to their friends for a second. I might look at them and go, you're interrupting my reading. Please, you start reading so I can read. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. So I kind of just try to handle it that way. And uh, most of the time that works. And I'll talk, and then I'll check back with them. I think it's important that you check back with them. How's that How's that book going? Do you like that one, or do you need to find another one? Or So you? I just deal a lot of it with conferencing.
0: I think it sounds beautiful. Well, Did you have more? Did you have more there?
1: Well, it sounds beautiful until you finally get that. You know, I do have some, it's not a perfect world. Yeah. It isn't. I like to think that it is. I have this ideal that it will be. I've had moments of perfection. I really have but uh boy it sure does a room that nothing makes me feel better than a room when I look around and it's just it's cozy when everybody is really reading and you can tell because it's got a certain silence to the room or sometimes I'll have them even like we're doing some book clubs right now and so I have some students and. uh One of my classes, they some of them they like to they're reading the book together. I I let them choose how they wanted to read the book, so some of them are actually taking turns and their popcorn. They've created their own popcorn reading situation, and it's real. I thought it would be bothersome to some of the other kids, but they just kind of moved away from them and they they're reading on their own and things like that. But uh, so, but just hearing everybody read or you know sometimes they partner read and things like that. I just think that's just magic. So that's what I'm striving for. But you know, I have right now, I've got about four that are fighting me still. And it's February. So I'm not, it's not a perfect situation, but that's how I'm trying to handle it.
0: That sounds fantastic and realistic for everyone listening. But ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft the Draft. That's Paywich Home. Jacob Chastain, we are two English teachers down here in the state of Texas doing writing workshop, doing reading workshop, and talking about it every single week. We try to bring our real world experiences to you. We try to talk honestly about our challenges and everything else in between. We also sometimes go into some bigger topics, but mostly we're just talking shop. We're just enjoying our lives. And you know what? This podcast is Only possible because we have Patreon supporters. Yes, we have producers of this podcast who are listeners of the show who've decided to support us. And this... Uh, as of recording this, our patrons are up to six. Now, this is exciting news, Miss Ochoa, because our goal is to hit 10, and once we hit 10, we're going to start releasing regular professional development videos over there on Patreon, exclusive for them. They also get exclusive episodes of the podcast where they can get their specific answers Uh answered or other questions answered. Sorry. And we, we specifically ask them to send us questions over there and they get first dibs on everything. So they get a lot of perks, uh, for supporting us over there. And we're so excited to, we're about to record our next bonus episode. So if you're someone who is like dying to ask a question, if you're floundering in workshop, if you're, you know, it's close, we're getting close to the end of the year, you know, within a few months, if you're trying to plan something and you want us to have input, you can jump in line, you can email us, you could go that route. But if you go to the Patreon, uh, then you can pretty much guarantee that your question is going to get answered in some form or fashion because that's what we do. But I want to take this time to thank Sarah. Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia for sponsoring this. Podcast for being producers of this podcast, supporting us, and uh, being just you know the, the the number one listeners as of right now. They're very engaged. Right. They're asking questions all over the place, um, and we're going to answer a few of those today on this podcast. We have more that we're going to answer on the bonus episode coming next month, uh, and then I believe Miss Ochoa, we have a book to talk about, but we'll get there in a moment, ladies and gentlemen. This is Craft and Draft. Welcome, already. Miss Ochoa. You know, I'm still trying to, just as a moment of transparency while we're recording here, not that we're never transparent, pretty much everything makes it into the podcast. Teach Me teacher. Yes. Is, this, is this edited, curated thing and craft the draft. You know, I do some edits here and there, you know, if we have like a coughing fit or, you know, if we have to pause or something. You know, there's some minor edits, but this is pretty much about as raw of a conversation. I don't know if people realize that. We just turn it on and there's There's a couple edits, you know, add music, there's a couple things like that, and then it goes and we just let it fly. <laughs> but in a well, moment of
1: trip, oh, mo- so tr- I'm sorry. That, no, is so, that is so true because he'll send me the episode, you know, to kind of yeah. revisit it as I do our blurb. And I'm like, <laughs> he left that in.
0: Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. You, know, you just got to let it fly sometimes. I think that's the beauty of craft and drafts. A little different. I don't think there's really a podcast like this out there. Um, and that's what makes it exciting to do. But uh, in a moment of transparency, um, I lost thought. I don't remember what I was going to say, Ms. Ochoa. I have no idea well, you're what I was going to be transparent to- <laughs> about.
1: <laughs> you're trying to work on something. You're trying yeah, to I fix trying the
0: to- situation. Was it sound? I have, no, 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 none of that at all. Oh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying. Thank you. I was trying. I'm trying to work on the, the new intro with the new Patreon, like introduction and, mm-hmm. and all of that, you know, my flow changes a little bit because of that. So, uh, you know, we'll see what works. I, I like the flow today, so maybe that'll be how it sticks. But ladies and gentlemen, we have some questions, uh, to answer. Would you like me to start this off Mr. Show, and read it? And then we can kind of go from there. Sure. We have, we have one question above and then two questions that are similar and we're going to tie those together. Uh, and then we'll move on from there. But our first question to start us off today is from Amy. Uh, Amy is, is a, is a patron supporter over there. And she asked, she said, at first she said, I just want to say a huge thank you for your energy, uh, that you both bring to your conversations. I look forward every week to the next podcast. She says, I'm a fourth grade teacher and almost always take some sort of nugget back into the classroom with my students. It is great to hear real teachers talk about real struggles that happen on a daily with kids, both in reading and writing and just real life. Amen. She didn't say amen. I added that. But she says, a few questions (laughs) I do have. She says, in reading workshop, how often... Do you have them respond in their journals about their independent reading books? Is it daily, a few times each week, or weekly? And for your striving writers, what that can feel challenged to put words on paper. Do you ever give them sentence starters or word banks? Thanks again for all you do. So first question is, how often do you have kids respond in their reading, uh, in their craft books to their reading? Ms. Ochoa, how, how often do you do that?
1: Well, at the beginning of the year, especially in that first semester when I'm trying to get them to write and think of, I mean, read and think about what they're reading, I think it's real important that they respond. One of the things that students have trouble with is connecting to the text. Mine are still having some issues with that. So uh, as far as like being able to connect and find connections between texts, so that's something I've got to work on next. But just being able to connect to the text is very helpful to uh, comprehension. And so, uh, and it, it just makes that book more real for them. So I I do it every day for at least the first six weeks. Um, Next year will be, I think, in a a nine-week situation. So it'll probably be the first nine weeks. But I know at the very beginning, I do it almost every day. There might be a day I might miss because we have a test or we might have something like that. But every time that we read, I have them respond. And I said in, in our craft book, that is a section that I ended up using this year. I did not have that section last year it just kind of went along with my mini lessons but this year I chose to go ahead and try out just a separate section for responding to the to the reading because I felt like right after kind of interviewing getting to know the kids at the beginning you know doing a little get to know you stuff I realized that that some of them weren't really connecting to the text and so I wanted to make sure that happened. So I wanted a place where they could find it and to make it more um, more of a routine. So I try to make it as routine as possible. So they have a separate section, and I called it uh, SS, Silent Sustained Reading Response. So they just titled SSSR, and then they put their date, they put their book title, and then um, I have a right the question on the board that I want them to kind of respond or the way I want them to connect to it. So uh, a connection might be something because it, it needs to reach all of the students. So a connection might be something like what was a big problem that your character faced? Or it could be uh, something like how was your character a hero today or sometimes I'll tie it straight to the mini lesson that I'm about to do so we might do a mini lesson uh you know let's say the mini lessons figurative language so their responses maybe um find evidence of figurative language I might tell language that they thought was colorful you know and then I go through and talk to them about what it is so I have them identify something before that so the um the responses are are completely uh, different uh So anyway, I'd usually do that at the beginning. How about you? Yeah, I would
0: say you and I are pretty close on this one. Um and I think it makes sense because I think the just the craft book in general, how we kind of use the right page and the left page, I think we're very similar in that. I think we as this year goes on, we start that's when we diverge a little bit just based on mm-hmm. teaching style and everything, but at that core, I think you and I just designed it in a way to where we think about it similarly, which is it's so much – the the workshop format is so important that uh, – it's important for us to establish those routines, right? It's important for us mm-hmm. to get them to understand we do this, then we do this, then we do this, we do this, then we do this, then we do this, right? And it might not be – Like the, what we do might be different, but the order is relatively the same. And I know, um, I know yours sometimes extends farther and mine sometimes go a little bit shorter on some of these things, but that's why it diverges like halfway through the years Mm because we're just in different spots. But in that beginning, that, that pattern is so good. And honestly, in the beginning of the year, I feel like it's, it's so valuable because our main goal is to really check in on where they're at, right? That's one of our data points because mm-hmm. we have our screener that they make us do, which is one data point. We have our pre-test, which is one data point. We have conferences, which is another data point. But then we have reading responses, right? I mean, you combine those four, you have a pretty good reading profile of your students. Now, for elementary teachers, I there you know there's other things in there. There's Fontes and stuff if that's what they do. There's all kinds of um, different things for early or earlier readers that are uh more capable of bringing it into the reading. What were you going
1: to say? Well, I was going to say, for the earlier readers, and I'm thinking more first, second grade, maybe even kindergarten, they can draw. So sometimes, oh, yeah. and, and I've even had my students draw what they Donald see. Donald Graves talks like about that. that, right? Yeah. So you can have them uh, draw, and that's another way that they, and then talk about it with their buddy. Yeah, That's and another just, way to go about doing it. Exactly. And I, I love that point because Donald
0: Graves talks about that, too, is that being a form of reading response. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's kids who uh, can even benefit from that now, which is kind of the second part of uh, Amy's question where she talks there, about.
1: Before oh, you before you go into that, I'm go sorry, ahead. there was one more thought I wanted to share. And sure. you and I, it was way back when you were in my um Way back way back. No, maybe not that far back. But it was when you were in uh my reading training. And, you know, we I that mean, that
0: was like my third Really, or, that was like my third year of teaching.
1: It's at least five years ago, right?
0: Third third or seconds? I, I don't know. It was pretty early. It was it was, it was, it was, a was while several back. years ago, yeah.
1: But if you remember, there was a group of people, not at your school, but they were concerned because their principal was against silent, sustained reading. And that was, I mean, that took up a lot of our time. And I think that also helped me, you know, how you learn from your own students. Well, I was learning about myself. How do I really feel about silent, sustained reading? How important really is it? And so all of their questions made me think about that. Well, anyway, um, the problem that that principal Had with silent sustained reading is that it wasn't attached to anything; it wasn't connected, so they couldn't prove that it was helping them learn. And so, one thing about having them respond um, periodically or routinely uh, to their uh, silent sustained reading or their drop everything and read time uh, helps with that. You know, it helps kind of show, like it gives you that data point. But I was just saying, it helps; it helped a lot about solving that problem. So. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Just to say well, I that. think it's it's good it's good data, right? Having having them see how they respond, see if they can, you know, especially if you're in the zone and you're working on a standard Mm-hmm. And you ask them to use that standard in their response. I mean, that tells you so much about their academic language, their processing, what they learned before, um, all of that stuff. But, you know, and, and I think that leads right into the, her second question was like for like kids who maybe struggle with writing, whether that's physically struggling um, for kids with maybe a disability or they're just, you know, dysgraphy or something like that, or kids who just struggle with putting words on the page for whatever reason, you know, do you give them sentence starters? And I almost always, with, especially within the first few days, but probably within the first few weeks, depending on the class, is I give them sentence starters for how to respond to everything, that writing or reading, right? And I think that's why we use um, so many quick... I use a lot of quick writes at the beginning of the year um, because uh, Linda Reese's quick writes specifically is off to the side of those pieces. You know, she'll say... Mm-hmm. Borrow a line. What does this Borrow make you think line. about? She, you know, that that whole thing. And so I'll teach them very early on. Uh, like, I'll give them some synesthems. Like, I'll be like, you know, I feel like I'm, and I'll do that in a mini lesson first, right? We'll read something and I'll go, oh, you know, and I'll think about this. And then once we do that response in the mini lesson, I'll go, okay, so now in your independent reading, I want you to use the same stem, but respond to your own reading. So absolutely sentence stems and model sentences and kind of little prompts like that, especially at the beginning of the year. But even later in the year, if you have kids that need it, I mean, I think it's, it's powerful this point. Sometimes I I do it. Sometimes I don't at this point in the year, but when I do do it, I'll often say, Hey, here's here's how I would start this. But if you have a different way you want to start. Go for it. And that way they have the option if they're stuck, but if they're already feeling it, they already have their own way to. they want to start, then I'm not limiting them in that response. Do you do the same thing?
1: Yeah. And one sentence stem that comes to my mind that I think is kind of neat to do, and that is what happens next, especially from reading. They haven't read on, but it allows for that prediction. And it allows for inferring. So they're taking what they know, and then they're actually predicting, but they have to write a response, what happens next. And so it's kind of neat. And then they get all excited if what they guess, you know, or what they think is going to happen actually happens, or it's like, oh man, I thought they were going to do it this way, you know? So it kind of helps them again, connect to it. But yeah, I do, I do sentence it starters, not probably maybe not as much as what you're talking about. Mine is more of a question. Uh, When it comes to their response uh, or having them identify something and then when they identify it, write about it. Uh, But I do use sentence starters as well. I try to use just about anything and everything I can think of that's going to get some of them to write. And then that's, that's one way that I learn about my students. What makes them tick, what doesn't make them tick.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, like this is – I think that's kind of the – if people get anything from our podcast, I mean, like in, in all actual like talk, if they get anything. It's that kids talking and writing and reading and speaking, That th- those are data points. We need to collect that. Mm-hmm. We need to document that stuff because – it fuels what we do. Where I think the greatest antidote to administrators or campuses or districts that are too focused on numerical data um, or quantitative data, quantitative data, I think are the best antidote to that. And the best response is to collect so much qualitative data that you can really speak to it and talk about it and actually have that uh, just in your back pocket. Be like, hey, you know, I know they made this, but they've been making these gains and marry the two. Right. Qualitative data is less is less exact just by definition, but it is not useless. And I would argue in the arts and in the humanities and English, um, it can be very useful within a skilled teacher uh teacher's classroom but we have two more questions and these okay. uh these well actually it's a little bit more than that because they ask some multiple yeah. questions which is fine but they're they kind of intertwine a little bit so i'm going to read both and then we can kind of pick apart one of them actually you know what I'll take that back. I'm going to read half of the first one, and then I'll read the rest of it because the first one is really pertaining to you because you're the, you're the queen of what she's asking about, and then you and I can chime in on the rest. But um, Alicia wrote in to us at our Patreon page, and she says... I would love to hear more about how Pam does her trigger words. I know she's talked about them a few times, but I'd love to hear the whole breakdown. Um, Now, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I figured we could offer just some brief insight for Alicia here about uh, how you think about trigger words, how you do them and what you go about them. Because here's the thing, when it comes to vocabulary and the use of words and the play of words and the exploration of words and the diving into words and all of this stuff, that's your jam. We've talked about it before. I think we said it on the last podcast or whatever. You have a, you literally have a wall in your room where you have a spider web of vocabulary and concept maps and everything else. And it is anyone that walks into there. Look, even if someone hated your style of teaching, right? If 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 an admin walked in and they're like, "I hate Ocho, I hate workshop, I hate independent reading, I hate independent writing," under no circumstances could they say you don't do vocabulary works. (laughs) So how do you how do you do (laughs) trigger words? How do you think about it?
1: Well, uh, you know, you got to look at the again meaning of the word trigger, Uh, and of course, the whole idea is to trigger thinking. Is to get them to to think about anything and everything and then use it as a, a pre-writing strategy. This is something I learned from the Abydos. They did a trigger words. I've seen it done many different ways. Um, but what I like to do when I'm actually doing a trigger word, I usually pick about three words that I think will trigger them to write about memories or something. So I like to use this a lot at the beginning. Or, I don't know, I just, I just pick it up at... I don't know. I always use it at the beginning. I will tell you that. And when I, there was a time when um, I first tried to do this, my first workshop, okay, I had an actual dialectical notebook, which I would encourage people to do. I can go back and actually see that the very first workshop activity I ever did was trigger words and I can and I even wrote like what my trigger words were and then I wrote a response on how did it work and because it was so successful it's something that I've incorporated every year especially at the beginning so what I do is I think about a word that I think will sponsor some sort of uh, memory is usually how I first go about it and um, so I've I picked balloons, you know, because a lot of times we celebrate with balloons. We have good memories with balloons. So balloon would be a good one to yep, to start yep. with. Um I marshmallows work, but with adults, they start thinking about marshmallow drinks that are more adult so i have to watch (laughs) that one i've learned that one the hard way uh because so there's sometimes you'll pick a word and you go oh wait 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 you know one time i picked groovy and i liked that one but that's more of a i wanted to teach them a new concept and and it was just this idea of expressing how they feel In their writing, that was what my mini lesson was going to be about. So I picked groovy because I knew it was a word that's archaic to them. It's not one that we use anymore. So they would not even have a clue what it was. But I wanted them to see that you can figure it out anyway, just by the way it sounds and things like that. So uh, I wrote it up there. So the way I do this is I'll have that blank board like you're talking about, and then I'll just write the word just right in the middle of it. And then I'll say, okay, everybody, here's your word, write. And then I'll I'll have them write for about a minute or two minutes, just depending on where we're at in the workshop. If they're used to writing, I'll even let it go if they're all getting into it. So sometimes I'll watch them. But typically it's about one to two minutes, sometimes three. And so we'll see what they, what they do. So they're like, immediately, I remember this when I said groovy. They're like, we don't know what that means. I said, just write write whatever comes to your mind when you look at that word. And it was really neat because after they wrote about it, then I have them, If I always invite, have an invitation to share. And so they were writing about how the word makes them happy. And it made them think about uh, a time when they were relaxed and it was just really kind of neat how it worked. And so then I told them, and, and then I at the, after that I played the Simon and Garfunkel 57th Street Bridge or, a, you know, feeling groovy uh, song. And then I said, "Now, what do you? How many of you had the right connotation or the right uh, for the word groovy?" And they were all, "Oh my gosh, it does mean like feeling good and being cool and all that stuff." So it was just kind of neat. So I just pick words that I think are going to kind of fascinate them. One time I put up elephant. That was cool. And they were like, they talked about when they saw the elephant the first time in a zoo, or they talked about how they like elephants. Somebody talked about how how uh, elephants have a long memory and what they knew about them. So sometimes it's just whatever, you know, whatever pops into my head. But uh, that's what I do. And I get the kids to kind of like the words and think about the words. And then I'll say, okay, why don't y'all bring a word to me? And we'll see if we can use it one time. So then my next step is to get them to give me the words.
0: Yeah, and what a I mean, it's such a fun like I think sometimes we forget that vocabulary vocabulary can be fun, right? Like it can be something that we play with and explore. It's kind of like grammar, you know? It's the Right. Um I was on a a podcast this morning, um, on Teachers on Fire podcast with with Tim over there and he was we, we I talked about that. I was like, you know, he asked about grammar and I said I don't have, you know, for like the – literally for quite a while in my classroom, for like half a year, I almost never – Talk about grammar. And it's not because I don't think it's important. It's because I want them to focus on meaning first. Because uh, grammar is awesome. Grammar is powerful. Grammar makes the world go round. You know what I mean? It can yeah. literally change the meaning of stuff. I mean, Emily Dickinson yeah. and her dashes alone. You can have a whole doctoral study on how she does that and why. And, and really thinking about it. And you know, that's kind of our goal, right? Is yeah, we need them to learn certain things, but also words are fun. Grammar's fun. All of this is fun, but it can, it can be ruined really fast but <laughs> now on another note so in alicia's question uh, after she asked you about uh her or your uh, trigger words, she wanted to also talk about grades, and she wanted to ask, uh, do you take grades for the work they do in their craft book? She says she's a fifth-grade teacher, and we are a workshop district, but our parents expect more than just a writing grade. I'm trying to figure out how I can make a grade for their work they're doing, but without collecting everything. Now, she also adds... Thanks uh, thanks so much. Your podcast has literally changed the way I've been running my workshop and my notebook system. I've learned more about my kids in the past few weeks than I have all year when I was doing worksheets, so... That's awesome, Alicia. That's uh, it is. It's a very humbling compliment, but it's awesome. But before we answer the grading question here, Brandy also chimed in over there at Patreon, just like you can if you become a patron, That's where right. she said, One of the things I'm struggling with is grading. She just starts right off. She says, I love the workshop approach, but I'm required to issue standards based report cards uh, that has many different ELA categories. For example, my students receive separate grades for reading literature and reading informational text text they receive grades for vocabulary acquisition speaking and listening conventions of english and so on so this is really this is really one big question tied up into one thing which is where do we do grades? How do we do grades? Um, Grades always come up. I think we've made that joke before on the podcast is anytime we've done trainings, anytime we're talking to a group of teachers, they'll be like, okay, that's great. But where do you get your grades? That's literally how every conversation goes. It happened in curriculum writing. It happens in the podcast. It happens at training. So let's do the the easy question first, and then we'll jump to grades as a broader one. But uh, Alicia, when she was asking, do you take grades for the craft book. Miss Ochoa, do you take grades for the craft book?
1: I do, I do, I do take grades for the craft book. How do but, you do that? How do I do that? Well, um, I don't take grades on every little bitty thing that they do because my problem is I have too many grades. I got to, I mean, I can't get them all in the grade book fast enough because there's so many of them. So the how I get so many is just... Uh, yeah all the different things that we do. so first of all, we're standards driven so if you if your mini lessons are standard driven, then uh, I give a grade like they might if I definitely need to have a grade on this particular standard because I think somebody said that they had a standard. <clears throat> you know st- they had to show that they've mastered that standard. So in our in our craft book, on the right side is where they've analyzed the writing. Let's say that's or you know the author's writing. So let's say the uh, standard is figurative language. I think you had mentioned that earlier. So let's say it's figurative language. So in so they've done some annotation. They've taken notes. They figured out what you know. I've given them some notes about what figurative language is. Uh, let's say similes metaphors things like that they go in and they find the metaphors or the similes they highlight all of that then they write a note next to it what's it what is it comparing to being compared to whatever it is that's what we're focusing on and so they write those notes sometimes on the annotation then we go turn around and on the left side that's where they actually do some practice where they they might Uh, write some sentences that have that they might go into their SSR book and find examples from their own book that they're reading pull that out put that in their craft book now what they do is I'm like okay I need you to go to mini lesson let's say that was 27 so they open up to mini lesson 27 And I grade it. Now, my students turn their work in via Canvas, but I think your students don't. I'm not sure. But so my students actually take a picture of that whole page. Like they'll pull it, they'll take a picture and they'll turn it in through my learning management system uh, on the pages that I expect. And so now I've got standard based it's even in their picture you know but that's how i i do it now in the before i had the learning management system i would actually they would have their notebooks open and as they were writing or reading something i'd say okay turn your notebooks open to this page and i would go around and i even had a time stamp or some kind of stamp that only came to me so that and i would stamp it and i would only write down the grades that weren't a 100 so like if i had um Billy over here or, or Sally over here. And they, they only gave me 50% of what I expected. Then they get their 50 or their 80 or their 90. And it's just whatever rubric. Sometimes I've, I've even walked around with my little rubric and went, check it, you know, and you get where, you know, that rubric pretty good. So, uh, and so what I do is most of my kids were always doing their work. So it was easier for me to record only the ones that were the lower grades and then if I didn't have a record but I've already seen their work that I went up there and gave them 100 then they got where you could do the iPad you know carry your iPad there and then I would just do the grade right in the grade book right there with my device so I've done it all those ways right now we have that learning management system that's how I did it in COVID so I just kept that system in place but they do all of the work in the craft book and then they turn it in that way so that's how I do uh, grades from the craft book the ssr that we mentioned earlier they have to take a picture i'll say okay give me a picture of this last week's work they give me a picture of that last week's work uh that's standard based as well so i can go in and if our standard says to make a connection then in my grade book i identify it with the I always put my number first so if it says um let's see inferencing is seven five f for us so that's the one we're having the most trouble with. That's why I have it memorized. So anyway, so 75F, inferencing, that's what's in my grade book. And now I have their grades tied to the actual standard. Uh, and so I can get a lot of grades. Like, that's what I mean. We do it every day. So I will pick one or two a week. That's you know two or three grades a week That that are daily grades.
0: Yeah, and I would. I don't. have much to add, but I'll say, mine's relatively the same. I don't use our. Uh, I don't use Canvas really, but uh, like literally the uh, Friday, I said, hey, uh, during writing time, I'm going to call you up and we're just going to do a crap book check. And I just had a few that I wanted to check. Just and I just did, I just did a spot check on the lessons and make sure they're using their. Reflection side, they're doing the standard that they're doing all that stuff. Um, and that's, that's how I get my crap upgrade. So absolutely. Uh, it, it gets a grade and sometimes it's literally are you simply doing the lessons, but then sometimes I do a more of a deep dive for their responses mm-hmm. and everything else just depends on what I'm looking for what I need if I'm gathering data or, uh, you know, to all 100% honesty, if it's the end of the six weeks, I need another grade, right? So there are we we have those realities too, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, but now the the broader scope of these questions with Alicia and Brandy is, is really just about grades um, in general. Right. And it's about, you know, it sounds like Brandy specifically, she has so many aspects that she needs to get a grade on. And I'm sure that can be very challenging. I'm not hundred percent certain what grade, uh, Brandy has. Um, but the, I think, I mean, I have my thoughts about this and it's, if you have to have specific stuff for, you know, informational fiction, grammar, all of that stuff, Then within the workshop, I would just plan out different checks of when kids should be able to demonstrate where they are, right? Uh, And that would be, you know, for me, a lot of my stuff, a lot of my checks on things come on Friday. It just, it fits the workshop, you know, I usually... Uh, it, it happens. It happened every Friday, but I usually poke it there. Um, it's cause we don't usually give our main test on Friday. So Friday is usually like my day to check on things. So, you know, for instance, if I need to know if they've mastered informational text, maybe I'll hand them a small thing of informational text and we won't walk through it together in a mini lesson. I'll just hand it to them and we might pre-talk about some strategies or whatever, but then I let them read, answer some questions. The... Sometimes i let them keep it in their draft book. Sometimes I'll give them a note card to write responses on or, you know, it just depends on what I'm doing and they'll hand that to me and I will, I do two things with this. I had an academic coach one time that taught me this and I think it's super beneficial is that let's say you're doing an exit ticket of some kind. They have to answer three questions and they're your three questions that you're working on standards wise, et cetera, et cetera. They hand in what they wrote. You make three piles. You say mastered. Meets, approaches, right or high, we'll medium, you low, right? Uh, well, what? You sure, it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't you, actually, but. It was, I thought
1: it you was, were in there when I taught no, other teachers
0: that. No, well, <laughs> anyway, it, go ahead. It, it was John Bowles, who's I, yeah, I, I feel comfortable mentioning his name because he's yeah, been on teaching teacher. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. well, yeah, he's been on teaching. He now he teaches uh, uh, a whole class on being a chef, and he gets to run the whole thing. He's yeah, living his he's best. Pretty life. awesome. But he was. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the reasons why I don't suck as a teacher. He taught me a lot of stuff, but you know, just doing that, and you can kind of just mm-hmm. see just in piles of who has it, who doesn't, who's not. You could assign grades to that, right? You can have those based out. Um, so that's one thing I do with them, but really what I'm doing is I'm checking for understanding. So before I do an activity like this, I tell myself and I'll write these out. I'll sometimes I'll do on sticky notes. Sometimes I'll make it more official, like a Google doc or whatever, whatever you need to do. I would suggest you do it, whether that's a you know spreadsheet or whatever, but you say, what does masters look like? What does a master's response look like? What does it meet?s What does approaches? If you don't use those terms, what does an A look like? What does a B look like? What does a C look like? What does an F look like? and do it that way. And I think those are, I think that's a perfectly valid way to check for understanding because even though we, you know, especially like me, you know, sometimes I feel like I just, I beat the drum of freedom and, and, uh, let kids do whatever they want in reading and writing. And, you know, I just, I, I thrive off of that. I still do academic checks. I'm still standards-based. I'm still checking for understanding. I'm checking for comprehension. I'm checking for all the things I need to check through. Um, I just do it periodically. So, my advice for that and how to manage grades is figure out what that looks like in your content, what that looks like for these specific things, and then just find out certain checkpoints that you want to hit uh, in your workshop. Now, I would also advise if this is a new process, you don't be a slave to the checkpoint. If you are behind, don't give, you know, some people will give a test regardless or give a checkpoint, give an exit ticket, give a formative assessment because they said they were going to do that. If your kids aren't there, then don't do it. It's going to be bad data, right? You just need to feel it out, you know, and if you feel like, yes, I've taught these things, whatever, I feel like if I give this check, I'll have a good understanding of who has it and who doesn't, then that would be a good thing. And I think that you just figure out in your own space, in your own district requirements, what that looks like for grades and then apply it from there.
1: Well, yeah. And I, you know, I do that what you're talking about, what's an A, what's a B, what's a C kind of thing. I do that with my um It's a great practice to do in PLC too. It is. It is as a as a team to see if as a team you are actually uh calibrating with each other and what what you think is an A is what I think is an A. Then we know that we are working as a team and our school is is uh, being equitable to all students when we can calibrate like that but but I do it with essays as well and that is I just immediately when I they turn in their essays and then I I put them in those piles and then from there I begin the grade Um, so I might you know grade my a's and then I grade my b's and c's or whatever but I go ahead and I group them and then that all that always helps me that I've already my first impression is this is my better paper so then it kind of gives me an idea when I'm going through there kind of quickly because you know when you're grading 150 essays it gets kind of uh, burdensome you know and it takes hours so sometimes you have to do it quickly and that was my way of making sure it was done quickly especially when I taught in high school and so um my first impression, and then I go back in on a second read, and then that's when I'd actually do my put my grade on there. As far as getting grades for uh, writing workshop, it's still almost the same way. Um, you know, if if we're doing drafting, if that's if that's our standard, then I put that standard there. That's what the kids are doing, and then they take a picture of their draft, and it's tied to the mini lesson that I've taught them, so that so that uh, that lesson is still there and that that standard is still there. Uh, if it's for grammar, uh, you know, you could just give a grammar grade. Sometimes we do, you know, we we might put them on a little program here and there because our district makes us do that. And so that would, you know, be a grade. But I typically get my grammar grades when I ratioucinate, when I have the students go back into their writing and I might say, okay, you need to find, and I got this from Dr. Carroll. Uh, Joyce Joy Armstrong Carroll, because she's the one who created this process, and she wrote about it in the National. Um teachers of English journal, uh, I'm thinking back in 1980s or something like that. It's been around for a long time, but that's where you use, you color code and you actually, like you're looking for, let's say verbs. So the kids have to circle all their verbs and then they have to make decisions as to whether they're going to change them or do they, you know, do they match whatever you're teaching. And then you have to make those changes. So when they make that change, Or if they do some sort of revision and they rewrite the entire sentence, then I look over that and and that's how I I determine where their grammar grade is. And then their their speaking grade typically comes from when they're sharing and they're presenting or they're talking to me through a conference and they're actually able to express those things. So I kind of just have a rubric there and I kind of put those grades if I have to have those. So those are just some other grades that you could find. In other places, and of course, your test grades, which would be the essay and then any kind of test you give,
0: well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. see, look at that. we've spent forty four minutes diving into questions, asked uh from our audience, <laughs> which we love to do we it really is our favorite thing to do is to answer real world questions because we're we know we're real teachers and we love giving those responses, so if you That's right. If you feel like uh, you want to ask a question, you can always, like I said, you can submit a question at craftanddraftworkshop.com. You can do it through our Facebook page, but if you want to get first in line like our questions were today, you need to join our Patreon page. It's definitely uh, how you do so. We have six. We're looking for ten. I mean, we're always looking for more, but ten is where we get to really start the magic uh, and see where we go from there. We're we're so excited that we have six, but thank you for submitting your questions. You can do so on Patreon, at Craft and Draft, and everything else, ladies and gentlemen. You can find that Patreon link at the craftandefworkshop.com website but before we go miss ochoa isn't
1: there something else we need to talk about is there something that came out is there something that these people might really want to know about
0: well you know as of hearing this this is the day where rightfully empowered is dropping um on three four twenty two which i think is cool right three four two um yeah It's, it's, I'm super excited about it, but you've been reading it and I, you know, I have. I'm not, I'm not really one for shameless promotion and stuff like that, but I feel like, you know, we have a podcast. People on this audience might be interested in the book and stuff like that. So I want to, you know, we wanted to close this podcast out with, I I, honestly, I want to hear what you think because you read the intro several months ago Mm -hmm. um, and then you ignored it after that. And then I sent you. (laughs) <laughs> and then I and then I sent you the you, you uh the, ask, the proofs.
1: You you didn't ask for my uh you know my acknowledgement. You didn't ask for my recommendation yeah. so you know hey if I don't fit in there with uh, Kelly Gallagher <laughs> and Laura, Rob. Hey, it's okay.
0: Yeah. it's okay. Uh, so I
1: have to ignore it, but now he wants my opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Just a little bit. I'm curious, you know, you've been diving in. I just, I, you know, I just want to hear your thoughts or, you know, let's talk about it just for a little bit, uh, you know, for people that might be curious about it, that might not understand what the book is or haven't even heard about it yet. For some reason, despite the fact that I've mentioned it on every podcast, because I'm just so excited about it. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? What are you, what are you processing?
1: Well, um, first of all, one of the things that you do really well is you take and you give us a good insight of what type of writing your students are doing in the classroom. And I like how you have woven their writing with your writing. And so it's really kind of neat to see how you use their writing to help prove your points. Uh, I like how you Dove into an actual mini lesson and a workshop, and you've actual and conferencing, and you've actually dove in and showed us how it looks uh, with more than one student. See, I did read it. You know what's so oh, you're funny? About I'm that, ignoring though? you, and I read it because that's not no, that's not no, no, at no. the beginning or the middle or the end. That's somewhere that's in not. particular.
0: That's right. Well, the one I do, I I've said this over and over again, and even though the book. Mm-hmm you know it is about how to uh, my goal is to em- empower teachers to really take this stuff on and not be afraid of this process and really go for it but the the featuring of the student writing i mean it was when i i wrote this book within those 2 years of with those kids so i literally like as i was going through this workshop process i wrote with them and then i i like some of the pieces like you said like you know they're in they're interwoven within the chapters and stuff and The final chapter is all them, pretty much, Uh, and it's just a celebration of their writing. But throughout the book is, you know, it's Uh not me just finding stuff to kind of justify my points. I literally wrote as they wrote, and when they would write something, I'm like, oh, this is is such a good point about workshop, and this was – that's how the book was born. And so that's why, like, when I say, like, (laughs) it wouldn't even exist without them, it's 100% true because they were – the The full inspiration there were this, but that mini lesson you're talking about. I have a chapter where I definitely I I you know I, I write out a mini lesson and and how I go through the conferencing process and stuff. That is I I have that memory ingrained in me not just because I've written it and I've reread the book a hundred times because of editing and revising and stuff, but that was such a, a pivotal mini lesson that year um, that I just it, it's just stuck with me and it's it's one of the ones you know how we we share our lessons on here on the podcast all the time and. You know, we we share the ones that have been great and the ones that we failed at and stuff, but that's one of the ones that, you know, it's, I'm just, I'm so glad that I was able to, you know, write about authentic stuff because that's a, that's a real world workshop right there.
1: It is, and you even brought up the answer on grades, so that was in there as well. So if you really want to chapter. know, how he, <laughs> he does a whole chapter on where to find the grades and what's acceptable, et cetera. But there was one quote that I really liked that you did, and now all of a sudden I can't remember what it is. I'm trying to find it. But uh, anyway, I, I just really, I really thought you did a good job here, Um. I like how you advocated for the, for your students and advocated for the process of, of writing and the workshops and how to go about it and how to defend it. And uh, anyway, and I like here how you talk about how conferences serve as a data gathering, which you've mentioned here a lot, but that's not really the quote. Maybe we can share the quote later. I don't want to miss, I don't want to misquote you. So no,
0: you're fine. I think the, the part that I haven't talked about yet, I don't think on any medium is that advocacy piece. Right. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, I felt like the, cause I wrote the book, it's it's a short book and I, I did. So I, that was a conscious decision. I left out the reading side entirely. Um, I, I wanted it to be a catalyst. I wanted it to be a manifesto of sorts. I wanted it to be something that you read and then you go off and do it, not something that you just dwell on and, you know, you kind of just takes forever to get through. You know, it's something that I want people to consume really fast. But the that advocacy piece is I wanted to give teachers tools because there was a That's time. It.
1: It's, it's your quote that you said with tools. So keep going.
0: Well, there was a there was a time when even in our own district, where independent reading was frowned upon. Now we've waxed and waned, right? And we're in a a very good spot with independent reading and writing stuff with our district. None of the stuff we talk about on here is threatened by our district currently. You know, we we feel very free. We've been open about that. Um, but there was a time when I I had meetings where I was advocating for independent reading, and there was people asking about it being a waste of time. Right? There was people mm-hmm. saying can't you be using this time more easily? You know, but of course you love independent reading. It's 15 minutes of time where you're not teaching or doing you're not anything. grading. Yeah. You're not doing yeah. anything. And I was like, what? Like, you know, I've lived through those experiences. Um, and I know there's tons of people who are, you know, they're listeners of this show or listeners of teach me teacher, or they're, they're looking for something. And I wanted to give people kind of a, a blueprint of sorts to, you know, if you want to do this and you're alone there is a way to convince people. You know, there is a way to partner with your administration. There is an intelligent
1: way. Yeah, you can
0: be rebellious. I'm all for that. Pam will be a testament to that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll stand up. One thing about Jacob, he'll stand up for you if you're a colleague of his. I, You know, and then you talk about that in the book, too. You talk about how yeah. you need to collaborate with your colleagues and work with them and to teach them about what you're doing. Well, uh, but there's go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I I, I was just going to say briefly is the, the reason I do those things is because I've been alone before. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I've said from the moment that if we're doing what's right by kids and people come in trying to tell us that we're doing something wrong or they try to challenge us, I'm always like I jump to the front of the line because I can because I'm a D.C. and I'm respected by our principal and our district and I can kind of uh, I can hold the line, so to speak. Um, we've had some of those moments, um, but I feel like it's my obligation because of that. But the the book, that chapter about advocacy and stuff is Really about if you're not in that position, if you're someone who is doing this alone and you're trying to push this, whether you're a literacy coach, an admin, a teacher, whatever, it's there's there's a way you can do this. And I kind of I I felt like that was so important to do because it's we can talk all day about the dreams of what we want workshop to be. But if we have no way of actualizing it. It really doesn't mean much. But go ahead. You were going to talk about. Um,
1: oh, systems. there was just one particular line that I think you stole from me. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> I think it has something to do. Of course, I had a different word, but it, it, it you know, it, it's kind of like this. The conference is the heart. of. How many times have you? Make fun of me for saying something is the heart of I think you stole that straight from me Jacob <laughs> that's great you know
0: it's very possible that you influenced that uh that's so funny because I don't have we have we told that story on the but we have surely we've had I'm to. sure
1: we have but, but
0: for for people who are unfamiliar you know there was this moment and this was early on this was before like I knew who Pam was we had interacted but you know we weren't colleagues necessarily. We didn't really know each other. We talk to each other way too much nowadays, uh, wow. to where we, we know a lot about each other and we can kind of jive back and forth, but you know, like that jive, that's a good one. That's a I, great trigger word. That is um,
1: a good ch- trigger word.
0: But, uh, there was a time where that wasn't true. And I just kind of knew you as the, you know, you were the academic coach. You were always at trainings. You were just that person. And I, you know, I agreed with what you said, but I shouldn't know who you were. And we were at this guided reading training that we were forced to be at for middle school. And And I was
1: forced to teach it.
0: Yeah. And we were sitting there and we had this like, it was like a circle. We had a breakout session, kind of, I guess. I don't know what you call it. But like, we kind of split the room in half and I was in your circle and we had to read. It was one of those PDs where you had to read and then go to the circle and talk about what you took away. And you just were like, (laughs) you just sat there and with the driest wit No emotion whatsoever. You said guided reading is the heart of a workshop. Without it, you'll die. And it was just the funniest thing (laughs) I've ever experienced. It was partly because we were all mad that we had to be there. Because it was the end, it was it was long trainings at the end of work weeks. I mean, (laughs) it wasn't that the training was bad. Guided reading has its purposes, it has all this stuff. We're not bashing guided reading, but it was just, you know, it was just one of those things where we were forced to be there. It was long. It was several hours for like throughout a semester. And you just having this droll voice about this, the guided reading being the heart of the workshop, it was so Funny that it made an imprint on me forever, and I just that—I mean that is probably where that came from. Although I'm not using it in that in type the of same facetious, term.
1: <laughs> right? A little but different, I, but don't think I didn't catch on. That's me connecting to your book, Jake. yeah. Connecting. Well, you
0: know, I had there was times when, you know, cause I read a lot, right? I love professor moments, teach me teacher sponsored by Heinemann. So I get free books all the time. I, I interact, like I read PD for fun and you know, part of that when you're writing your own is you want to have your own, you want to have your own voice obviously and stuff. And, um, it's just, it's that part of like, uh, you know, you want to articulate yourself in a certain way and sometimes, Phrases come about, right? There's things that like just by speaking on a podcast every single week, and you know, I produce two podcasts uh, a week at this point with Craft and Draft and Teach Me Teacher. That you know, you get phrases and stuff, and it's just like, oh my god, was that me? And like when I, especially like when I go back and read stuff, right? Like Rightfully Empowered is really fresh in my brain because it's it's just now coming out to publishing. But like when I look at Teach Me Teacher. I'll I'll open that book and I'm like, did I did I really say that? Like that's you know what I mean? And it's just when you sound
1: foreign to yourself.
0: Yeah, and that's a good thing. You know, Stephen Mm -hmm. King, not to get off on a tangent of writing again, but Stephen King talks about in his book on writing, which is one of my favorite writing books of all time, even though I am not a huge fan of Stephen King, is he talks about when you finish something, put it away in a drawer for three months. Um, and that's what happens when you publish, right? You write like I wrote rightfully empowered and then I sent it away and then I didn't see it for six months. And there was things in there that I was like, why did I say that? Why did I structure it this way? And then there was things where I was like, Hey, I wrote that. <laughs>
1: Pretty good.
0: <laughs> <sighs> but what would you, for someone, you know, to, we're, we're going long today, but for, I, I'm, I'm just curious because you know, when people ask me about the book, I, I spend so much time talking about the kids and all of their stuff, because that's what I I really do. I just, I'm so excited for them. We're, we're going to do a signing for them. They're going to sign 100 books together. My wife and I are planning this event where they're going to get these little published author uh uh business cards, they're going to sign a poster, they're going to get a goodie bag, you know. They're doing all this stuff. We're going to celebrate so awesome. them and let them, you know, they're published authors. They really are published authors mm-hmm. as of twenty two. and you know, that's what I care about, but for someone who's reading it just as a different perspective, how would you describe Rightfully Empowered. What would you say, it, who, who is the audience for that book? I'm, I'm genuinely curious.
1: Well, I think the audience is for that person who's trying to do workshop and not knowing that it's a good idea, knowing that it'll work, but getting maybe some opposition in some way or not having a buddy to help them work through it. And I think this is a book that could be that buddy for them. Um, it, there's a lot of places where you say, you know, your, your workshop's going to wane here, but don't give up. This is where most teachers quit. This is where you need to... Dig in, and I think that is advice that we do need to hear. And when you're when you're sitting there, and I'm like you, I've been by myself. I mean, because I started all this in the '80s, so I really are in the '90s actually. So I I uh, have been by myself. I mean, I've been made fun of actually for doing this process with uh, you know s- some veteran people, and um, you do feel alone. So I think this is a book that. If you have it, it gives some great pointers. It works through the whole entire writing workshop. And um, it encourages those who need to be encouraged as teachers.
0: Well, I can't ask for a better uh, endorsement for that. So I'm going to take this as your endorsement. If oh, okay. you don't mind me, but uh, thank you everyone for joining in to this podcast. Uh, we love answering questions. If you have a question. You can submit us at craft or if you want to be first in line to questions and everything in between go visit us at Patreon slash craft and draft where we uh, you can support us over there and jump in line. Just like six of our listeners have done so already. Remember our goal is to hit 10 thank so we you. can start releasing. Yes. Thank you very much. But our goal is to hit 10 so we can start releasing more and more professional development Uh, videos, which is what we really want to do. Um, do some live stuff, everything else in between. We really are. Uh, we have, we're planning so much that literally before we started this episode, Pam and I went, we need an assistant. (laughs) So (laughs) We're, we're excited. Thank you for those of you who support us, though. We really do thank you. We know that your money does not come easily, that you work extremely hard for it, and we value that, and we want to give you extra value, which is why we're giving a huge bonus episode coming up next month. So if you guys want to hear that bonus episode or a past bonus episode, uh, then jump over there to Patreon so you do not miss anything. That's Pamela Chow. I'm Jacob Chastain. Subscribe to the podcast you don't miss anything. We release a podcast every single Friday talking about a variety of things in regards to reading and writing workshops. And pretty much everything in between. Go to visit us at crafthefworkshop.com where you can find every episode. Leave a review if you enjoy this episode and know that we are here
1: for you.